this morning is a special morning because we celebrate communion, but also we celebrate Advent. And uh, to be able to put the two together is really special. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would actually, Lord, uh, help us to see how these two connect together this morning. Would you reveal that, Jesus? celebrate communion because um, Jesus asked us to. He told us to remember what he did for us. And Jesus told us to remember because he knows that you and I are likely to forget. And so we have uh, um, an opportunity as a church uh, here. We monthly uh, take time aside to remember what Jesus did on our behalf. Uh, John chapter 1, it says that the word to hang on to that for a second that's going to tie in with the advent reading in a minute but it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth we uh, in communion we first serve the bread which is a symbol fact that God actually came to earth in a human body. God became a person. That's uh, amazing that he would break through time and space and make his dwelling, as John said, among us. And so this cracker is a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ, that he actually had a flesh and blood body like you and I do. And in that body, Jesus allowed himself to be put pinned to a cross in order to pay for your sins and for my sins in order that we would be made right with God. Jesus didn't die on a cross to make you religious. He died on a cross in order to make you right with God, to bridge the brokenness between you and God. And John a few verses later from what I just read, it says to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So I want you to know this morning, friend, that Jesus came and Jesus died for you, but his death can only be applied to your life when you receive him as your Savior. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is available to anyone, anyone, but it's only applied to those who receive him as their Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you to do that here this morning. For us, communion is not about New River Church. It's about the church, the capital C church. It's about, it's a family thing. Anyone who professes Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord is welcome at this table because we share him as a savior. And if you've not done that this morning, I want to invite you to do that. And I would even encourage you to receive the bread as your first act of faith. Say, Lord, I receive you today as my Lord and my savior. Thank you for coming to earth to rescue me from my sin and to make me right with God. I receive that. I accept that. 
So as our ushers serve the bread, I'm going to ask you to hold on to it until we've all received it, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll eat it together, okay? So ushers, would you come? friend I could ever ask for, Jesus. You um, gave up your life in order that I could be reconciled with God. I thank you for that gift. That's uh, the best gift, Lord, I received at Christmas isn't under the tree. It hung on a tree. <laughs> you paid the price, Lord, for my salvation, and I thank you. So, Lord, today we eat this bread in remembrance of your sacrifice on our behalf. And we say thank you, Jesus. Let's eat together.
this uh, gold box is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant that we read about in the Old Testament. And maybe um, you've wondered what the difference is between this, or maybe you've confused the two. This is a different Ark, excuse me, than Noah's Ark. Although it's the same, you know, the same word. So what is that? Um, Noah's Ark was a boat. This is a box. The word ark in the Bible actually does mean box, literally. Um, I was thinking, you know, it's not about the box. It's about what's in the box. That's where the life is. Consider even the story of Noah's Ark. God destroyed the earth. Everything that was living, left alive, was where? In the box, wasn't it? God literally spared humanity and all of creation by what was placed in that box. It's interesting. And then many years later, Moses and the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, developing the nation of Israel, one nation under God, right? They have the Ark of the Covenant. And what was contained in the Ark of the Covenant? There were three very important things that were put in this box. One was the Ten Commandments, the very Ten Commandments that God received, that Moses rather received from God. There was also a jar of manna to remind the people of God's daily provision for them in the desert, daily bread, daily bread. And then there was the almond, the staff of Aaron, the high priest that budded and uh, the, to represent the fact that the priesthood, it, was, it belonged to Aaron and to his family forever and ever. So you have the word of God, you have the daily bread, then you have the priesthood represented in this box, right? Last Sunday, I noted that the Ark of the Covenant had become the most sacred object in all of Israel. Heavily guarded, heavily protected, heavily admired and kept in respect and awe as, as best they could because the Ark actually became the very symbol to them of God's presence. They, they, would, they literally saw the ark and they literally thought God. Uh, it was just a hair's breadth away from worshiping it as an idol. I mean, it was right on the edge, God. And last Sunday we noted, right, Christmas time, God in the box became God in the flesh. as long as God was in a box he was kept over there somewhere and he was revered but when God became flesh uh, God walked among us as we just read God allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to pay for our sins to make us right with himself God in a box became God in the flesh and I just read in John chapter 1 that the word 
where he asked you to hang on to that, the word became flesh. Are you catching that connection? I'm hoping. The word, what was in the ark, the word. And then Jesus was born, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Man. When Pat first gave the idea of doing this, I thought you were kind of nutty, to be honest, but I'm getting so much out of it. I can't, I'm just, thank you. I'm getting tons of great nuggets out of this. So this morning, we celebrate Advent together. I'll be quiet now. I got more to share next. I'm holding back, actually. There's another thought I got next week. But anyway, this morning, my sister Vicki is going to come, and she's going to read our Advent reading. Uh, today is the second Sunday of Advent, and so Maria, you can help and hold the mic. Huh? I don't know that you need a microphone, Vicki, because your voice is loud enough, but it's... Yeah, please turn around, yeah. And I'll light the candles while you're reading. small among the clans of Judah out of you will come from anyone who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from from ancient census which took place while Aquinas was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem of the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. Register and Mary was supposed to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in the manger because there was a guest room available for them. His name was By you, my heart skipped a beat when she read his name was Jesus. Something about that name. I, lo I love Jesus. 
the cup, it celebrates and reminds us of the blood of Jesus. The fact that God would actually allow his own blood to be spilled on your behalf and mine. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In other words, friends, there's no such thing as a small sin. I know some people think, oh, I I never murdered anybody, so I'm not that bad. It's not about that. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. The smallest of sins, so to speak, in your life is punishable by death. But the good news is, Jesus paid that price. Come on. Jesus paid for it. It's the good news. He died so that you could live. And that's what we celebrate as we receive the cup this morning. Ushers, would you come and uh, serve us with the cup? And I ask you to do the same thing. Just simply hold on to it until we've all received it, and then we'll drink it together.
you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that you loved us enough to do what you did. Thank you. And Lord, we give back our praise to you today and our thanks to you today. So Lord, it's with uh, gratitude that we drink this cup together in remembrance of what you've done. Let's drink. Father, I want to now pray uh, for the word, and I pray, Lord, that as our brother comes to teach that Spirit of God, you would use him, and we do ask, Lord, that you would take us as a church to the next level in our worship, Lord, our expression of worship, Lord, I pray. Take us deeper with yourself, we ask, this day, in Jesus' holy name. Thank you, worship team. That was great, huh? So this morning, um, I want to just uh, invite our brother Joe to come. Joe's going to give us the word today, and uh, I'm excited because as I was praying yesterday, um, splitting wood in my backyard and talking to the Lord, I just sensed the Lord wanting to take us as a church to the next level. So are you okay with that, yeah. church? You're okay. So that's what we're trusting God to receive today. But Lord, I just pray you anoint Joe today as he brings yes. the word, and uh, you speak through him, God. So God, give we give you editorial privileges. Mm. You uh, cut out what you don't want said, say what you do want yes. said. And Lord, we're eager to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Joe Praise the Lord. <laughs> says that's my uh, stage name, Joey D. <laughs> Praise the Lord, everybody. How's, how's everybody doing? Praise God. Well, I'm glad to be up here again. Um, for those that you weren't here, just a little over a month ago, I had a chance to preach here for the very first time. I guess it went okay. They had me back. I didn't break a microphone or anything like that. So it's just good to be here. And, uh, you know, every church across America, across the world is getting already geared up for Christmas you can see it in the decorations and the special events and activities that happen in the service. And um, even in the church signs, you ever see those church signs, like in through your emails or online, there's church signs, church signs in front of the churches that say unique things. You know, so the churches across America are trying to connect with the community in their area, just trying to get them into the Christmas mood. So we have a few of those church signs to show you, and let's see if they really work. Can you, can you work with me on that? So here's the first one. For those that watch that show, Dancing with the Stars, you now have Dancing with the Stars in Bethlehem. You know, so who knows? Maybe in their community they have a lot of dancers, and that'll get your attention, right? So this next one is for those that like making lists. Let's go see that. I'm also making a list and checking it twice. God. <laughs> now here's one from a church that wants to clear this up. It's right here. It says, Santa Claus never died for anyone. Isn't that true? 
And this one, this is a church telling you what they want for Christmas. What do they want? All I want, we want for Christmas is your presence. And this next one is for those that ever wonder, what does God want for Christmas? Look in the mirror. <laughs> and here's one from a church that knows exactly how to make all visitors feel welcomed. It says, welcome visitors to Jews, happy Hanukkah, to Christians, Merry Christmas, to the atheists, good luck. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Pastor Jim Price is going to get an email or two on that one. Okay. And then this is last one is for those that really wonder, what's the reason for the season anyway? Jesus is the rizzle for the sizzle. Hey, you know, you got to connect with the community. You know, we are a community church, right? Just kidding. <laughs> so really, Christmas is 19 days away. 19 days away. There's still time for shopping. You can do it online. Get it next day or two days. But what I want to bring your attention today is the sermon title is Christmas, A Worship Journey. And it's found in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Get your Bible app out. If you don't have the Bible app, you can go ahead and download it now. God will be okay with it. You're downloading the Bible, right? You know, if it was Candy Crush, that might be a different story. But what I want to draw your attention in this message and in this Christmas season is the story of the Magi that we find in Matthew 2. And their journey, if you really step back and look at the whole picture, it's about their journey was one of worship from beginning to the end, all right? So I'm using actually the New King James Version, and if you don't have your Bible or the app, it will be on the screen, but I encourage you to stay, keep, stay there because we're going to be going back and forth with this. I'm using the New King James Version because they use the word behold as they're in their translation for a Greek word that says watch this, listen to this, focus on this, pay attention to this. Because what they're trying to say, they're trying to get your attention for something that's about to be said. Are you with me? So let's read verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief scribe, priests and scribes together, he inquired of them, Where is Christ was born? And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, what time the star appeared. If you know anything that's done in secret, not good. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over the... The, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened the treasures, they presented him uh, gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country 
another way. So just keep your spot there. We need some background details about the Magi. Now, the story of the Magi is one that is shrouded in some mystery. And the truth is, we really don't know conclusively everything there is to know about them. There's a lot of speculation, and a lot of it is confirmed by the scholars. But we really don't know everything. But Scripture shows us a clue. From Scriptures, we know that their title was Magi, which refers to astrologers. It makes sense. They saw a star. They noticed a star. Their titles are also the wise men or the kings. We also know that Matthew calls them wise men from the east. East Hartford? No, not East Hartford. But either from Babylon or from uh, Persia or maybe India are some common suggestions. And we know that they brought gifts. And these gifts, they were fit to honor royalty. Royalty, which gives us a clue that they belonged to a privileged class of society. Now, the Gospels doesn't, account doesn't tell us whether there's three or five or ten of them or thirty of them. However, we probably just get the idea that there was three because of the three gifts. Doesn't that make sense? Three gifts. Now, one gift for each Magi. Some actually are suggesting that there was a, a fourth Magi. But the fourth Magi's gift was fruitcake. So they, they dropped him from the story. Some believe that there was actually a fifth Magi. The fifth Magi, he regifted. So they dropped him from the story too. Don't mess with God. He'll drop you. So what do we know from, from the scholars and from the research? I know some of you said that's bad. Some suggest that the planning and the preparation for the trip actually really needed to require some time. And that their journey could have been around 1,000 miles. I mean, yeah, 1,000 miles. Do you know that that's actually the distance from Manchester to Jacksonville, Florida, which is just over the border? And if you, according to Google Maps, if you check it, if you drive nonstop, it would take maybe 15, 16, 17 hours to drive. If you took a plane, it's four hours. But imagine walking. Imagine how many times you were here. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Drive you crazy. They actually believe that it could have taken about two or three months to reach Jerusalem. You know, they didn't have the privileges that we have of travel today, like highways and high speed and cars, luxury cars and our tablets and our phones to stay entertained through this journey. I mean, they couldn't even just get off the next exit to go to Cracker Barrel. I mean, they, had, they were on a journey. And these roads they were filled with robbers and thieves that were just waiting and lurking for people that were passing by and robbed them. That's why it forced a lot of these people to get together in big groups called caravans for safety, like safety in numbers. So that's what they had to do. But these weren't ordinary people or merchants. They were prominent men of society, like dignitaries. Dignitaries because of their status or their position or their role. And it would be possible that they could have had at least a minimum of 300 people. 300 people with a full escort, an army escort, and their servants. And that would explain why they caused the stir in Jerusalem. That would have got the attention of the people of Jerusalem. That would have got the attention of King Herod. That 300 people of obvious position and status came to Jerusalem. That would get somebody's attention. And it's also the fact that the Magi had no, pro- no problem gaining access to King Herod. Because who would ac- have access? Who would a common people, even a foreigner, have access to the king? That's like us trying to gain access to the president. Anybody have the president on their phone? No? I didn't think so. To access, that was just really unheard of. So we know that they had some type of position, some type of uh, royalty 
to get their attention. So they're kind of mysterious. Their direction comes from a star. It's no wonder they noticed the star. They got their attention. They appear seemingly out of nowhere, and they start asking questions about this new king to the king of that time. you got to understand that King Herod was crowned the king of the Jews in that area by Rome. And so now foreigners are coming, getting his attention. What are you talking about a new king, a born the king of the Jews? So here was their journey and some background and some detail and some information about that. What's the application of this story for us? Why would God choose to include this story in the gospel? There's a lesson for us. There's a a lesson for us to learn. It's a benefit. It's to show us how do we approach in our journey to Christ and with Christ. And I want to bring to your attention three steps of the Magi's journey that we can apply every day of our life in our journey. Are you with me? And the first is this. The Magi's journey is one of faith. It's one of faith. Let's look at it in the first half of verse 2. It says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. If you drop down a little further in verse 5, it says, So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, these scribes and priests, they found this passage in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And there's reason for us to believe that the Magi had access to Old Testament scriptures. The Magi were believing and seeking in faith that this Old Testament prophecy would come true. And when they saw the sign, they set off on their journey. They set off on their journey in faith. And we need to realize, just like they did, that this was a miracle. This birth of Christ was a miracle. Amen. I, the, the miracle of this is that if you really think about it, things that are astounding and amazing here on earth, um, many, of us, many of you here are probably old enough, I can't include myself, were old enough to see live when man went to the moon. And everyone else, like me, saw it on video. And as amazing and as astounding as that is, there was something far greater and astounding I mean, it's as if the, the, the world stood still when man reached the moon and set foot on it, right? Amen. How many were alive? You don't, okay, you saw it live. We, everyone else, we saw it on video. So that must have been an amazing thing in an amazing time. But imagine now God coming to earth, how astounding that would be. Far more greater. Because it's this, it's called Christ keeping his deity, his holy being, coming as a baby growing up, walking the face of this earth for 30 or so years. That's amazing. But notice this. Behold, (laughs) Christmas is not the celebration of the beginning of Jesus Christ. It's the celebration of his arrival on earth. His true beginnings were not in the stable. Because Colossians 1 says this. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 17. He is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Magi understood this miracle. They understood it so much that they would risk a journey 
of a thousand miles. They knew the importance of what this event was. They, they knew the importance of who God is. There's so much for us to learn about this Magi story. I mean, after all, they're called wise men, right? They're wise. But what would prompt someone to leave the comfort of their homes to go on a dangerous journey? Do you know a lot of people would do that for romance? We see it depicted in movies and in books, long-distance relationships, trying to find that loved one. They would do it. A lot of people would actually do it for wealth if they knew that if they had to go through a dangerous journey and it would mean treasure or, or, or wealth, they would do it. But faith, something in faith, it, the Magi did it. The Magi did it. This says here in verse 2, he says, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, to me, that's a statement and a question at the same time. It's a, it's a confident question, a question in faith. There was no doubt in their language that he had been born. Now, the question was, where is he? They were convinced in their faith. They had the faith that he was alive and that he existed. Now, all they needed to do was find him. Their purpose was established. And so they, had, they were willing to risk everything to find him. They were willing to leave the safety of their homes to risk an uncertain journey to find the king. And can you imagine your, your neighbor watching you preparing for a trip? They might be asking, hey, Joe, are you going on a journey? Well, Bob, yeah, I am. Uh, well, where are you going? Well, I don't know. All right, well, how, how far is it? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, how long are you going to be gone for? Well, I don't know that either. That almost doesn't make sense. But you see, moving or acting in faith, begins, it starts to draw questions from others because they don't see it the way you see it. They don't have it the way that you have it. And you know, they may have said the same thing about Abraham. Look it up. Abraham, God was giving him the promise of promised land. He had a journey through it, given a promise, but had a journey for it. There's also Noah. What about Noah being told by God that you have to build this, this gigantic vessel because it's going to rain and the earth is going to be flooded. So imagine Noah's neighbors. It took 40 days and 40 nights. Amen. To, to flood the earth. And here, here in this ark and watching everybody, uh, watching Noah build it, that must the, the, the ridicule that he must have received. Can you just imagine that? Because up until that time, the earth didn't rain. If you, if you look it up and studying it, there was just a mist. It didn't rain. So then to be told, oh, yeah, there's going to be water dropping from the sky. And so much so that we're going to be flooded. They're going to be like, I've never heard of that before. You're out of your mind. <laughs> right? And they may have said the same thing to Peter and Andrew and John and James when they left their fishing nets, their careers, their life to follow Jesus, to become fishers of men. Maybe someone you know has been questioning you and questioning your faith. People can say strange things like, are you crazy? Are you insane? Are you out of your mind? And the response is, no, I'm not crazy. I'm not out of my mind, but I am certain in my faith. The fact is, a journey with God, a relationship with God, it always requires faith. It involves getting out of your comfort zone. It involves stepping into the unknown. It involves even uh, going and doing things prompted by the Holy Spirit that you normally wouldn't do. Hebrews 11.6 says this, 
It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those that seek him. So God, when you seek God, he'll respond to you. There's no doubt about it because he's waiting for that. Whenever we take the step, we take a step, he'll go the mile. Can you remember a time, or maybe you're in a season like this right now, where your faith is tested and you have to dig deeper into that faith and deeper into that belief that, that God's got this under control. And yeah, with faith, we should be willing to respond to the challenges of the unknown over and over again in our journey. Because the flesh or the natural feels like it's the unknown. But our spirit has a sense of certainty that it's there. So what is faith? Watch this. Behold, it's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. It's trust. Faith is like saying trust. I trust in God. I trust in God. Amen. I trust in God. Can you say that? Are you able to say that today? I hopefully. Amen. If God is willing to guide the Magi on a journey to find Christ, surely God is willing to guide us through life, not with just a star, but with his spirit. He promised it to us. Amen. Amen. And you know, he gave you a life for a reason. Because, well, those around you probably might not know why either, but they experienced the blessing of it. And we're experiencing the blessing of it too. We're thankful. You're a testimony to God. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, no worries. No worries. So we have to trust God. We have to be willing to do that, right? So let's move along. Step one, the Magi's journey is one of faith, but it's also the Magi's journey is one of worship. And this step perhaps is really the whole focus of the story, right? Let's look again at verse 2. It says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. What did they come to do? What did they come to do? What are they going to do? What were they going to do? Oh, just wondering. When the Magi came on their journey, it was for the purpose of worship. I mean, they brought with them the intention to worship. Everything was the intention to worship. And they were also expressing it in these gifts. Okay, I mean, they didn't travel a thousand miles to deliver a pizza. I mean, they brought with them gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I'm sure that these were not like these little sample things. You ever get one of those little sample perfume things? It's just to make sure whether you like it or not. It's not like the whole thing, you know. See if you like it, like a little dab will do you type of thing. Now watch this. Behold, I'm sure that the quantity and the quality of these gifts matched the quality of the king. There's something we can learn with this. The quantity and the quality of these gifts that they presented Christ matched the quality of God. And the lesson that we can learn from that is that our worship, it should be a reflection of who he is. And I can tell how big you think our God is by the expression of your worship. God is looking for worship. And our worship should be that the quantity and the quality should match of our worship should match the quality of our God. 
Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. So these gifts, they have some symbolism to them. And the symbolism is, is this. The gold, it represents wealth. And it is a gift that's fit for the king because Jesus was the king of kings, right? And frankincense is the sap of a tree that was dried and hardened and used for incense to worship. To worship. For, God, for he is, this gift was for deity because Jesus is the son of God. And the myrrh is a fragrant perfume that was used to anoint the dead, to embalm them and preserve them. And here's Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, right? But there's more to worship than this gold and this frankincense and this myrrh, isn't there? Worship is not only an ex- outward expression, but it's also a reflection of the inner of the heart. But it's also how you live. And worship involves, now get this, some level of sacrifice. And sacrifice can be defined as an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. All right, I said a lot. I got to say it again, right? You're like, can you say that again? Sacrifice can be defined as an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or more worthy. And if you're a parent, you know about sacrifice. Because when that, your first child came into your life, it rocked your world, didn't it? You're, you, you changed everything. And then, you know, you sacrifice so the benefit of your children. And, and you do it instinctively because you want the best for your child. You'll do it. The things that you used to do, you may not do as much anymore. Or maybe not at all. Maybe the time for other things kind of get cut short. But isn't that sacrifice all worth it? Because you have wonderful children that are gifts from God. And isn't it amazing that our Heavenly Father sacrificed His Son for us? And I like how Pastor Doug puts it. He puts it this way. We're not worthy, but we're worth it. God gave up a sacrifice for us. I think that's awesome. You know, I I came across this statistic that I said that the average, speaking of sacrifice, that the average uh, cost for raising a child, uh, like born now until the age 18, is over $245,000 for one child. Okay? So all children and teenagers, you better thank your mama and your papa. <laughs> and in baseball terms, where are the baseball fans here? Raise your hand. All right, we got three of them. So, do you know in baseball there's two plays? that are actually sacrifice. We have the sacrifice fly and the sacrifice bump. And do you know that going up to the plate, it's the intention of doing that. And you know why? Because that play, even though it's an out, it's going to advance the runners so, it can, so that runner can get in position to score. So that's, that's, that's how that works. You know, it's a sacrifice. And when we flip this for worship or authentic worship, it costs something. But it also gains something. It may require your time and your effort to worship, but it gains relationship with God. It gets you to see him more. If you can, flip over to Romans chapter 12. So was a price to be paid for the Magi's worship? Was there a price for that? You bet. I mean, they, they, they had given themselves to a long journey. They had sacrificed their own comfort and safety to find Jesus Christ and worship him. Even David says it like this in 2 Samuel, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. It's interesting. 
something just dropped in on my, my spirit, that here in the Old Testament time, there had to be an offering, and it was, it was burnt, it was consumed. And then when they, when they, for sacrifice, and then when they would sacrifice and worship again, it was a new sacrifice, you know? And I think sometimes we get kind of complacent or status quo with our worship. We try to re-gift a worship to God from something from yesteryear, you know, rather than there being a fresh worship, a fresh sacrifice of worship. You get that? I hope I'm explaining it the way I got it. But here in Romans chapter 12, 1, it says, So, brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg of you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him. That's key, pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. So you see, true worship, authentic worship requires sacrifice. There's something that you have to give. And the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice that you can give is yourself, is your heart. And you may say this morning that I don't think I've given him anything today. But I want to say, yes, you have. You've given of yourself today. And here's an example. You've given him yourself today by being here. Do you know this morning you got up, you got yourself ready, prepared, dressed. You got into your car, you used up the gas, you drove here, you came in here, you came and you brought your tithe and your offering, you participated in the communion. That is a sacrifice of worship. That's it. When you came today, you came as a living sacrifice. Even though you may not see it that way, even though you may not have realized it, the effort you make to worship God is your sacrifice. But here's the key. Watch this. Behold. <laughs> Behold. Authentic worship comes from the sincerity and the passion of the heart. I have to say it again. Authentic worship comes from the sincerity and the passion of the heart. Because get this. We are either authentic or we're synthetic. There's no other way around it. We are either authentic or we're synthetic. Authentic is the real thing. It is genuine. Where synthetic is manufactured, it's man-made, and it's made up. Which do you think is pleasing to God? Authentic, authentic. Where, where is our worship? Where does it fall in? God wants most of all above everything else is your heart. Because if he knows he has your heart, he has everything. He has your whole life. That's what he wants. But there's, there's questions that we have to ask ourselves. Like, what am I willing to give to him? What, what has he been asking of me? Think about that for a minute. What has God been speaking to you about? That question keeps coming up. Keeps coming up. You know, the other question is, am I willing to go on this journey of worship? Am I willing to get up and out of my comfort zone to follow Christ in another level? Imagine I did. So are you willing, are you giving him your best worship? Are you giving him authentic worship? And look at it this way. You may not have gold to give God, but you have what's valuable is your talents and your gifts and your abilities. Okay, you may not have frankincense, but you have within you praise and worship that's like incense and aroma that's pleasing to God. And you may not have myrrh, but you can be a living sacrifice that honors him in everything you do. Worship him with what you have. Worship him with your best. God does not expect more than what you have. Do you have that? You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. You don't have to compare and contrast. It's you. It's what you have. 
And that's what God's expecting from us. So moving along. Step one, the Magi's journey is one of faith. The step two, it's one of worship. And also step three is the Magi's journey is one of life change. Because you can't have all of this and get into the presence of God and not have life change. Amen? Because if you look at it, in the perspective of the Magi, meeting Christ was life-changing. And we may not have the privilege of seeing all the details and everything that they experienced and the ramifications of that. But that had to have been life-changing. Can you imagine seeing the face, the beautiful face of God in a, in, in a, in a not a baby. Sorry, spoiler alert. They were not in the manger. They were in the house. Okay. All right. So, looking at the beautiful face of a child, that's God. God, imagine that. If we look at verse 10, back in uh, Matthew 2, it says here, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and what? And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then watch this. They... Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You know, they saw the star. They saw it reappear. It led them to Jesus. And what did they do? They rejoiced. They knew they were close. Their response is one that, of humbling their hearts and bowing down. Because when they saw him, what did they do? They fell down. In other words, their posture changed. They're, they were kneeling down. They were bowing down. That was a gesture and expression of reverence and, ex, and, and respect to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because you know what we really have is we have royalty that was bowing down to royalty. The royalty of royalty. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Imagine that. I think that's an awesome visual. And here, in, once you encounter the presence of God... His presence, it influences you. It goes with you. You're just never the same. And my example for this is in verse 12, where the Magi had a divine experience after meeting Jesus, just being warm, being redirected to go a different way. You know, up until then, they may have seen the star. They may have been guided, but there was a direct contact with God, divinely inspiring them to go a different way, change. What about, like, others in the Bible? There's so many examples of God uh, working in people's lives or people encountering God and just never the same. There's Jacob and Isaiah and Job. Like Jacob, to know his story is one, his life was just a never-ending struggle. And he was a man of, full of fears and anxieties, and he even was a deceiver. Look it up. And though God promised Jacob that he, him, through him would come a great nation, Israel, he said this in Genesis chapter 23, verse 30. 32, verse 30. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Can you imagine that? Life, face to face, my life was spared. He didn't consume me. He wrestled with God, and he never walked the same again. And here's Isaiah. Isaiah stepped into the presence of God, and this is what he said in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, and for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And there's Job. Job questioned God over and over again in relation to his suffering. And when God showed up, this is what Job said. I'm speechless, in awe, words fail me. I should have never opened my mouth. 
I've talked too much, way too much, and I'm ready to shut up and listen. That's in the message version of that. So in case it didn't sound familiar. Verse uh, chapter 40. So imagine Job, now when he met God, he had a different perspective. Different, your perspective changes. Because you know, like, if you wear glasses, you know that in your vision, there's just something that needs to be adjusted. And when you put the glasses on, it's corrective vision lenses. And when you meet God, he begins to put like lenses over your eyes to have a different perspective, to have a correction in your vision and your sight, to see things more like he sees it and not more how we have been seeing it. Are you with that? Isn't that awesome? Man, people have been changed when they've been in the presence of God. That's what's happening when we are in the presence of God. We become changed. That's what happens when the Magi encountered Christ. They were changed. That's what happens when we encounter Christ and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And earlier there was an invitation for that, and you might not have taken the invitation. No one has to invite you, only God, really. And I hope that you don't leave here before leaving and doing that. So that's what happens. You change. You become transformed. You change. Your plans will change. Your direction will change. Your life will change. Your destiny will change. In fact, your eternity changes. Do we want to encounter Christ this Christmas? If you seek him, you will find him. And when you do, do like the Magi and bow before him. Amen. Let's stand together for just a minute. You know, this is not only the season of Christmas, and we focus on Christ, but it also tends to be a season of distractions, a distraction away from Christ. And if we're not careful, and if we don't focus on Christ in this journey, we're going to walk right past him, and a Christmas is going to go by, and we didn't focus on him. We didn't focus on worshiping. We didn't, we didn't acknowledge him coming to earth, you know. So we've heard the story of the Magi or the wise men. They were wise because they had faith. They trusted. Trust. They were wise because they worshiped, and they were wise to allow their lives to be changed forever. How about you? Are you needing that change? You know, I feel like God spoke to me about someone, or maybe more than one, that this morning uh, your relationships are not right with those around you, like horizontally, because your relationship is not right vertically with God. And he says, first seek me, and then all these other things will, in other words, come into order. Who needs that today? just a minute. I don't know why. If It should just be me. But I sometimes encourage us to just close our eyes for a minute and see with vision. And you might be saying, no, I see with my eyes with vision. No, I, your spirit vision. And if you close your eyes for just a minute and just to be able to see what God is showing you today, allow a minute to reflect on what's been said today, what God has said to you today. And I want to let you know that no matter if you've been a Christian for three days, 30 days, 30 years, or maybe this is the first time you've experienced the presence of God in this way, I want to let you know that God loves you, and he expressed that 
through his son, Jesus, to take our place for the wrath and the punishment of our sins. And I want to allow you again an opportunity to make just an an outward declaration that you want Christ, you want him today, you know you need him today. And perhaps it's an opportunity for someone here today to recommit, to reset, almost like reboot and be revived in your relationship because you know you've let that slip. And all you're doing is right now is making an altar where you stand. And if you acknowledge that to God outwardly of what's happening inwardly by just raising your hand and let that be assigned to you, just a, a declaration. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, for others, I want to encourage you. It's not a statement to discourage or to set back, but it's a a statement to encourage and step up. When you heard about worship being authentic or synthetic, it alerted you. And in the presence of God right now, God is so full of grace. He'll wait for that authentic worship. You know, he'll wait for it. And you acknowledge today that your, your worship truly has not been where it should be. And that's you tonight. Just lift up your hands. Let, be at the altar where you are. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Oh, this is such a wonderful time to respond to God because he's doing a work in your life right now. Don't let the blessing of Christmas go by. Be willing to go on a journey that leads to Christ. He's not looking for the fruitcake. He's not looking for re-gifting. He's looking for worship, authentic worship. Let's just sing together. There's power and unity.